Today's read, Midnight, a gangster love story by Sister Soldier. Chapter 7, Quiet Money. Getting money and getting killed seemed like one and the same around my way. Every male I saw getting money ran the risk of losing his life and freedom, and many of them did. The way I saw it, if you lost your freedom, you lost your life anyhow, because then you really can't get no money. In two years' time, I counted 20 male teens dead. 12 had actually lost their lives. The remaining eight were hauled off in police cars, heads pushed down by the palm of some questionable cop's hand, cuffed and carted away for a long, long time. And this was only in my building. I didn't count the dead from the other side of my block. It was crazy how they left the yellow tape on the walkway, tracing out the body of Daquan's dead little brother, De Leon the asthmatic one. He got popped on the block at age 15. Somebody spray-painted the outline of his corpse and drew a mural on the ground in his name that read, Only the Strong Survive. I looked down at it one day as I walked by and figured his brothers blamed him for not being gangster enough to stay alive. Another time, Two teens had lost their lives throwing a party around our way in the tiny rec center. They was trying to make some money. One was an MC, the other was his DJ. Now they just did. They brought my building body count to 22 in two years. In four years, the count exploded to 46. Getting money was usually the reason. Or somebody jealous that somebody was getting money or somebody stealing money or the cops shutting people down because they don't want nobody around here making money or just because they felt like it. We made quiet money, Uma and me. It was strange to us how an American salary was so much more than a Sudanese salary, yet American workers remained poor. It was strange remembering how Uma's employees back home earned so much less money, but had so much more. Swiftly, we realized that a salary here meant next to nothing. We needed to have a business of our own. Together we decided to build the business most familiar to Uma, modeled on the one she built and operated back home, but on a much smaller startup level. I had faith it would work. I knew that there are very few people who can do what Uma does the way she does it. Once people found out about her products, there would be a demand, I thought. Every day after work, Uma would be telling me her ideas for improving her workplace, including introducing new methods and products, 
she pointed out that the factory had more advanced machinery and a larger operating budget than she ever had back home, but they worked with a simple and lower quality fabric and cranked out garments with limited, unexciting patterns and designs. On the flip side, Uma was an expert in textiles and designs and could make everything beautiful. She knew all that a person could know about fabrics, cotton, linens, silk, wool, seersucker, jute, leather, suede, their grain, grade, and quality. She also knew about coloring, blends, and dyes. She was so nice with her fingers that she could stitch elegant patterns and pictures on brocades and do embroidery of intricate original designs on cloth, clothing, and upholstery. When she was bored, she crocheted and knitted beautiful blankets, sweaters, scarves, gloves, hats, and clothing. All of our beds at home were draped in her work. She told me she began sewing and stitching at age five. She loved creating designs and clothing, but said that her greatest accomplishment was a Sudanese carpet she made from an elaborate design she saw in her mind. It was the only carpet she had ever designed and woven in her lifetime. I recommended that instead of her trying to get me to translate her suggestions to management in an effort to move up in their company, she should keep her ideas to herself and we should start our own hustle on American soil. At first, Uma was skeptical. To earn her factory pennies, she already worked long, hard hours, sometimes randomly being required to do double shifts. She knew the possibility existed of making money in a private business. Yet, after she received the huge hospital bills for the birth of Naja, which she had to pay on her own, she really valued the limited health insurance we were now receiving from what became her full-time factory job. It offered a financial cushion, and she was afraid to lose it. Also, back home, she had a huge family and friends and community to draw her customers and contacts from. In the U.S., She felt anonymous and isolated, but I was confident and certain about Uma. Besides, I was right there to help out in every way. To encourage her, I had 100 Uma Designs business cards printed up at a local print shop. After dinner one night, when I pushed the cardboard box over to her side of the table, she opened it up and read the card, smiled, then cried, Uma makes everything beautiful, was the slogan I had embossed in gold script beneath the company name. She could not even read the English words printed on the cards, but she saw and recognized her name on the card and understood my intent, which meant even more. We learned fast that just having the business cards did not guarantee us any business. Our breakthrough happened when one of Uma's co-workers, 
a pregnant black woman with a British accent, approached me as I waited one day outside of the factory for Uma to come out. Your son a son, isn't it? She asked. It's great how I see you waiting for her here each day. I wish my son were so good. Anyhow, I'd like to invite your mom to my baby shower. Here's the invite. You make sure she understands. Good enough. She looked tired, but she was smiling. What is a baby shower? I asked, unfamiliar with this kind of event. She laughed and answered. It's for the ladies to get together and celebrate the baby that's coming. She rubbed her belly. Your mom doesn't have to, but most doesn't have to, but most gals bring gifts for the baby. Okay, thanks, she said, waddling off. I'm sure I seemed calm and cool to the woman, but really, I was excited. I convinced Uma to attend the shower even though there was a language barrier. I explained to her that this was her perfect chance to show her work. She should look her best and design and sew the most beautiful gifts for the unborn baby, maybe even for the baby's mother. It was a woman's event so she could get comfortable, unveil, and display everything. I was positive the women would all admire Uma and everything she wore and made. Meanwhile, as the women exited the shower, I would be seated right outside with the business cards, pen and paper in hand, ready to catch our first customer's orders. On the way to the shower, packed tightly in the back seat of the Brooklyn taxi cab, I pulled out seven of my mother's gold bangles, her exquisite jewelry that we usually kept stored away. I placed each one on her right wrist as she caressed Naja with her free hand. The driver jammed on both the gas pedal and then his brakes, dodging traffic. Instead of Uma speaking to me, she was thinking to herself. I knew an emotion stirred in her because she had not worn jewelry since we lived in America. She no longer saw the need to decorate herself since she was out of the presence of my father. Today, however, underneath the beautiful cloth of her thobe, she wore a handmade dress with amazing embroidery stitched from the neckline to the hemline. She carried Naja in a handmade satchel with embroidery that complemented her dress. Before stepping out of the cab, I helped her slip out of her flat walking shoes into a pair of gold leather heels. She had not worn these either while living in America, but I selected them especially for this day. I carried the gifts in one shopping bag and her samples in the other. We ended up walking up eight flights of stairs because the elevator in the women's building was broken. I got worried that maybe these women wouldn't have the money to order anything. Then I pushed the thought out of my head because in my building, all the broke people dressed the best. I handed the woman the shopping bag stuffed with gifts. She screamed in delight. Bloody God, you shouldn't have. I didn't understand her comment. I handed Uma the other shopping bag and said in Arabic, I'll be waiting outside here until you're finished. 
The woman invited me to stay as she saw me leaving. I thanked her and left anyway. Four or five hours later, the women, one by one, slowly exited the shower. They were all smiling and upbeat. I handed each of them our business card, explaining that Uma made everything by hand, and if they wanted to place an order, they could call the telephone number on the card. About eight of the women must have been the British ladies' friends and relatives because I did not recognize them from the factory. Meanwhile, I told Uma's co-workers they could also speak their order to me any weekday after work when I came to meet Uma. When Uma finally came out, the British hostess and a small group of ladies were each thanking and hugging her and showering Naja with compliments and attention. It was the first time there wasn't the formalities and distance between them that there was at the factory where Uma stayed covered and veiled and unusual because of the male presence. Now they had all seen Uma, the elegant woman, her face kissed by Allah, her beautiful hands that made beautiful clothing, her authentic jewels, and her very calm and lovable baby girl. The bottom line was, the co-workers were all used to seeing one another. Seeing Uma, really seeing her today for the first time, was a highlight. I could tell that they had all been affected, especially by her genuine, warm, pretty smile. I carried Uma's first American Singer sewing machine to our apartment from a used appliance shop. I took her shopping in Manhattan's garment district and carried her newly purchased supplies. I received our first customer orders that same week. There were women who ordered that exact same blanket that your mother crocheted for the baby. The same beautiful dress your mother wore to the shower, but in my size. Ten of those baby satchels, but in a variety of solid colors so I can sell them to my friends. Something unique for my niece. I like the way your mother designed the clothes for the baby. It was so personal. Now, Uma realized that most of her co-workers could work the machinery at the factory, but really did not have magical fingers like she did. If they did, would they get so pumped up on the items she made that they were willing to part with their hard-earned bucks? Everyone communicated their orders to me. I established the rates and requested and collected the deposits. I even hooked some ladies up once they explained their concept of layaway. When their items were completed, I delivered them and collected the balance. I became known for my good manners, nice way of talking, for being on time, honest, and reliable. All of the customers were women, although some were ordering items for men. They expressed their gratitude to me by offering tips. Tips were small, but they added up. On the American holidays, my tips doubled because customers tended to spend like crazy. Eventually, customers began phoning who were friends of friends, of co-workers. I brought an answering machine to keep all the orders organized. 
I put my voice on the greetings and sometimes bugged out on the various accents, requests, and types of messages when I played them back at night in my room. I also ordered a second phone line to be installed for Uma's personal use. We never told anyone our home address. It was not on the business card. If special measurements had to be taken, which was unusual, we would make an appointment and show up to the customer's place. We purposely never advertised or solicited any customers in our own neighborhood or building. We kept our money quiet. Nobody knew we got it or how we got it. My part in the business may sound easy, yet there were risks involved. I delivered anywhere that a customer lived. I never said no to any address or location. Some of the places were dangerous and fucked up. America, or at least the state of New York, was divided into separate areas. A lot of people were tribal and territorial. Some fools seemed to believe that if you weren't from a certain area, you couldn't enter or walk through that area. Some people thought their buildings were off limits. Some people believed that kids were easy targets, like the two guys who hid in the corners down in the subway then came at me from two sides, surprising me, then jamming me in the turnstile. They didn't get nothing. I dropped down and rolled out. In just the borough of Brooklyn, you could get hemmed up by black American youth or angry mobs of young whites and sometimes even their parents. You could get chased out by territorial and suspicious Jews who sometimes had their own private patrols and community rules. Even some of the real religious ones considered their neighborhoods exclusive. I handled all of that and the other boroughs as well. I had to keep the product nice, neat, and in the same condition that Uma packaged it in. I purchased a high-end North Face backpack from Paragon, a sporting goods and mountain gear boutique in Manhattan. I also brought garment bags in bulk from the garment district to use when the orders were large. I made sure I expressed our appreciation to each customer and even provided handwritten receipts. I kept my 22 on me to defend our profits. Uma sewed deep pockets into my jeans and khakis, jackets and coats. She did it because I asked her to. I asked her to so I could carefully conceal my joint plus my knives. She knew I had weapons. Where we are from, a man is supposed to be armed to defend his family. She never tried to be an obstacle to my manhood Even when I showed up with wounds, cuts, or bruises, she just cleaned them up and asked no questions, the same way she related to my father. Uma opened her first bank account with my translation assistance. We placed half of her cash in the bank. We hid one-fourth of the cash in a secret location just in case. I kept one-fourth of the cash in my room for business operating costs like extra supplies and transportation fees or the phone bill and such. 
my tips were a separate matter. I started storing them in tin cans that used that used to hold tea leaves. After filling eight of them, I had to upgrade to huge coin jars, which I filled and placed in the back of my clothing closet. Pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, all in their own jars. I marked each jar as it filled up to keep the count. Small tips were adding up. Inside of each of my volumes of The Amazing Adventures of Akbar, I kept my clean, double-digit paper dollars neatly arranged and pressed. As time pushed on, Uma upgraded our business in several ways. We developed a much bigger client list of paying customers who had nothing to do with the factory where she worked. Through word of mouth, or should I say the precision of her skills in making women dress and feel better, she received a big order from one woman who wanted Uma to design everything she wore. The woman had deep pockets and never haggled about our our mushrooming prices. She attracted a few wealthy friends of hers to our business, but never allowed us to meet them. She made their orders run through her. With more money to invest back into the business, I improved our packaging to make the products more appealing. Uma introduced colorful tissue papers for wrapping each item, some solids, some fluorescent, some paisley, all interesting and different. She added a line of scented clothing, using a tradition from back home in the Sudan where women draped their cloths in a closed-in room where homemade incense was burning, making everything they wore smell delicious and leaving an alluring trail wherever they went. Slowly and carefully, Uma began making her secret homemade perfume potions and placing them in small crystal bottles for sale to exclusive customers and as a gift to returning customers who spent more than $300 with each order. I was impressed with her and completely dedicated. Everything that she did naturally as a woman was saving our family. She was my father's private treasure and wife, and people were willing to pay to get even a small item that she touched up, or an ounce of her everyday aroma, or a duplicate of her personal style, or anything that resembled her elegance.